Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sanyin Podcast on this amazing episode. This time we are joined by the amazing Alma, who is an architect, an entrepreneur, a basketball player, and coach. Alma, uh, you're welcome to our podcast. Oh, thank you so much, uh, sir, for the invitation. Okay. Um. So the first question I usually ask everyone, uh, especially for my guests, is briefly describe yourself. For someone who may not know you, uh, I describe myself. I, I'm going to try and make it as comprehensive as and short as possible. Well, my name is Ada, <laughs> Ada Machar Malok. Uh, for those I'm from South Sudan, so the pronunciation is a bit hard. So some people just say Ada Machar Malok. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently living in Ningbo, China. Uh, this is where I work, this is where I study, and this is where I've been living for the past six years. Uh, what else? They also need to know my age. You want to? I'm a very young man. Uh, I'm also uh, just like uh, JP has introduced. Uh, I love basketball. I'm a basketball player. Uh, I'm also a, a pastor. I lead a fellowship in Ningbo here under Manifest. So I could, I could say I do a lot of things. I'm an architect. And uh, I think that's a very brief. I'm a very easygoing guy. I think I'm the most boring guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> Not boring, but simple. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm quite fun, but I'm very simple. So yeah, okay. I think that's... Okay, that's nice to know. Uh, you're not boring. I think I've interacted with you and the visit. <laughs> <Just simple. laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, you're an architect. And I've always been fascinated with architecture in the sense of uh, the way buildings come out. I think when you come to China, you see a lot of amazing buildings in these cities. Mm-hmm. And I just want to I just want to give me an insight on your architecture journey and the projects you've done so far. Oh, well, that, that's a very interesting question. Uh, my architecture journey actually begins from quite uh, from a long time ago. I think since uh, 2013. I've always been fascinated with architecture. I remember this time, I think I was in my second year. And uh, for those of you who watch DSTV, and DSTV is one, is a very common uh, digital platform in Africa. There was this amazing show called Mega Structures. You know, it was called Mega Structures and Extreme Engineering. And in that show, they were showing how you know uh, some of the biggest buildings in in the world, such as the Burj Khalifa, uh, were constructed and what are the major challenges that they go through or how long they take or how they have to integrate, you know, these high level engineers and how the structures are put up. And for me, it really felt fascinating and interesting. And, uh, you know, growing back from coming from where we came from, we didn't have that opportunity to see those, uh, you know, to see those things on ground. So when I got an opportunity to come to China, uh, I, I took it. And it was one of the best decisions I could ever make. Actually, I think I would, for someone who wants to maybe be an architect or for someone who is really keen on architecture, I would suggest that if they could come to China to just observe, you know, because China has one of the best, the the best thing that they have here is that buildings are being put up. I mean, JP, you've seen this guy's building day and night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's like these guys don't rest. It's like they just wake up and they're like, man, we're putting something here, you know. And it's one of those uh, places that keeps that keeps on changing, you know, involves new buildings, new infrastructure. And so I came here in 2016 to do my bachelor's, uh, came to Ningbo University uh, for five years. Uh, and along those, uh, during that time, I did my internships. And then 
2021, I, I ended up working for a firm here, the British-owned firm. Uh, so we did a lot of projects. Uh, most notably, one was a, it was one we did in Chongqing. It was like a restoration of a, a British. One of the first places the British landed when they came into yeah. So the first places that they came in, so they wanted to restore it, and that was my first experience working for uh, you know in practice. And surprisingly, it got built. It was very, it was a very amazing. It was quite an amazing process. And so uh, after that year uh, working for that firm, I decided to start my practice. So I, I opened up a company and where I can do my own practice. And this was uh, unfortunately because my my boss fell sick and he had to leave. You had to go back to your UK. And so I decided to start my own practice and also continue my studies. So I'm currently also here doing. The masters in urbanism and sustainable environments which is like the bedrock for architecture and i'm also currently doing a lot of other projects i'm in the middle of a hospital design i'm doing a fitness center also and i'm also doing a residential uh there's a residential project at hand uh, there's a lot i can't share about them because they're still <laughs> you know those, those contracts you have to sign with the clients you know you don't we can't let we can't put them out until certain day and certain time has passed you know for them to be unveiled to the public but it's been good uh it's been really really good i'm doing my master's at nottingham university it's a uk-based university that has a branch here and so far so good it, so far it has been so good you know the, the experience the opportunities to learn and all that so i think that that's that's how my career has been so far from the time of inception uh, watching tv okay uh that has been an amazing insight honestly and uh you kind of convinced me to join architecture <laughs> <laughs> well there are good ones there, technical drawing um i want to ask um do you have plans of designing buildings in africa if the opportunity arises uh actually most of my work right now is based in africa and the way i've tailored my uh, after my work uh, at the at the after my practice with the with with the with the english guy uh, the british guy at the firm uh when he went back i really sat down and i looked at myself and i wondered uh, where do i want to work next you know do i want to remain in china do i want to move to the uk because he gave me an option he left and he told me anytime you want to come to the uk and work for me uh, just let me know uh, i will hook you up with my firm there and so after that i just sat down and i asked myself the fundamental question why am i doing architecture who am i designing for and i realized that what has always moved me from the beginning was i wanted this back at home you understand and so all the projects that I'm doing uh, under my company currently are all based in Africa. And this is something that I would really want to do more and more. And after my master's, I'm actually, I'm still thinking about it, but I'm actually thinking of moving permanently to Africa you know, to, to do my work from there. And so uh, to answer that question, I would say Africa has a lot of potential. And that's the one place that I would really want to go and pivot you know, in practice. So definitely, if the opportunity comes, uh, I think I, I got a call a few days ago. I think it was about four days ago. And uh, I had a friend of mine that was uh, calling me for inviting me to participate in an airport design back at home in Africa. You know? So I think there, there's a lot of opportunity. There's actually a lot of iconic infrastructure that we can put up that might, you know, change the face of architecture, architecture as we see it in Africa.
So I'm really, really looking forward to doing stuff in Africa. Okay. Uh, a place like, uh, for example, a country like mine, Uganda, um, we've had issues with buildings. Some would say it was the engineers, uh, let's say the architectures. Uh, but in general, <laughs> why doesn't, apart from cost, why doesn't Africa have these amazing architectural designs yet? In 2020, 2022, why do most African cities not have these great architectural designs yet? Well, in my practice, I've seen there are two major, two major problems with Africa. One is Africans are not willing to spend on high-end designs. You know, for example, um, there are many guys have designed buildings here, a whole complex, and cost you what? Four billion, which costs costs you thirty billion. I mean, for those of you who have been watching the line, there's a very new project project that was started in Saudi Arabia to become the face of the the face of future cities, and that project literally costs fifty billion. Is it fifty or five hundred billion? And they're not scared, you know, to to try and and go for it. But uh, for example, our AU our AU building in Addis Ababa wasn't even built by African countries. You know, and it had to be sponsored by a different by by China, per se. So one thing I've seen back at home is people are not willing. Even the residentials that you design for people, people are not willing to put in the money that is supposed to produce the quality that they need. They have the quality in mind. They say we want this. It has to be like this, but they're not willing to pay for that service. And that's also connected to the second reason, which I think back at home. In a country like China, the disciplines are very well separated. Uh, back at home, there's no structure. There's no structure because even in South Sudan, where I come from, uh, at least Uganda has moved uh, a few steps in front. At least you have an architectural board, a national architectural board that certifies uh, uh, professionals that licenses architects. You know, so, and there's a clear distinction between an architect and and, uh, and an engineer. Though people outside don't know the difference, they think an engineer is. Uh, is an architect and the thing is an architect is someone in his thought process that has been trained up or trains himself to look at we you know we put aesthetics first you understand something has to be beautiful that's why a lot of people look at iconic buildings like this is iconic it catches your eye you understand that's how an architect thinks he's an artist you know uh, that's why they say architecture is an art but back at home because there's no clear distinction between the disciplines People just get an engineer and then assume it's an, you know, it's an that's an architect and then they just draw for them boxes and they want to make it as cheap as possible because they don't want to lose that client. So back at home, there's really, there's really no clear distinction. It's like a plumber or a draftsman. A draftsman is someone who just perhaps, for example, if you're working in a firm, you, you could have an architect, a lead principal architect. Uh, who maybe has experience, who has done this before, you know, his ideas flow fluidly, he knows what he's doing. It can design and then give uh, the design or the ideas to a draftsman or to a team to develop. And then the draftsman just draws them on, you know, in the software. But back at home, you find someone even who's just a draftsman, who just draws on software, is designing houses. And that's because a lot of people don't want to spend on the architect because typically an, an architect would charge you... Uh, this is just a rough number of my head. It will charge you maybe fifteen percent of the total, you know, of the total project cost. So if you have, if you have a five, a ten million project, it means uh, over million is going just to the architect. But that's good service. You're paying for good service. You know what you're getting. 
the architect will be responsible for sourcing, for you know, for connecting you to the contractors. They will connect, you know, he's responsible for bringing the um, the engineers on board so that everything is done according to the design. You get. But back at home, there is no structure. It's just not there. They are scared of hiring the architect because they think it's too expensive. And then they get the engineer to do it, the civil engineer or the what, he will do something that is just structural. It's not beautiful to look at. And yeah, basically that's it. There's just no structure and people don't want to pay. Wow. So do you think that will change over time? Yeah, I think it will definitely change over time. I've met a few clients that, you know, they, they give you hope, you know. I've met a few clients who are actually ready to pay for good work and they're not scared of doing that. They're not scared of trusting the architect to do everything. Uh, they don't second guess. Also, the thing with back at home, because there's no structure, everyone thinks they can do it. You understand? You find even you're doing something for a client, but they want to advise you to do it where they want you. <laughs> so it's very at least you know in China that's not there because everyone clear and understands where they are and I think it will change over time definitely because even I think uh, even the spending patterns of most Africans has, has increased compared to the previous years more people are willing to pay you know, you know money for quality services and just like any other service and architecture people are also opening up for it and just like I said, uh, I'm actually doing a master's which in urbanism, which is like a bedrock, you know, for architecture. So we're looking at a way in how to generally improve the life of African cities compared to to how they have been right now. I mean, if I, know, I know you, for example, I know you, JP, you are, you're doing delivery, right? You're one of the yeah. founders of Pangyo. And it's the responsibility of architecture to have... Uh, to have a, a structure of a, of a city that makes business feasible. For example, back at home, it's so hard to have, you know, for Uber to work because there are no, you can't easily tell where someone's house is. You understand? If, if let's say you are delivering a package, you want a, a location that is easy for, you know, for the, for, for, for the delivering company to track, you understand? If it's going to number 480 on, let's say, Ginger Road, you understand? But because yes. the planning of cities is distorted, actually there's no urban planning in most African cities. Uh, Rwanda began to do it. Of course, the Arab countries have been doing it. That's why, that's why they are ahead of us, you understand? Egypt, those guys are ahead of us. So if you have, you know, if you have a city that is well-planned, architecture will thrive, you'll have iconic buildings, you'll make it easier for businesses to thrive because you've given them infrastructure on how to, you know, <laughs> on what to operate on. Someone who is doing delivery doesn't need to worry about, you know, addresses because that's part of urban planning. Those things are supposed to be planned for It's part of architecture. So literally people are opening up. That's a good thing. That's why I actually want to go home. That's why I'm excited. Yeah, we should all go back home and, and build a, a better Africa than we found it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Oh, my last question in in architecture would be, what's your message to upcoming architects, both in Africa and China? What would be your message to them, those who are following in your footsteps? Um, what I would say is, um, architecture is a very, it's a very, very broad, you know, it's a very broad field. But one advice I usually give people, and one advice that I learned on my own, on, on, on my job as I, as I, as I was working, is learn learn to learn to use you just be i don't know how to, okay 
be adventurous. You get mm. actually an architect as an architect. Just be adventurous. Learn to use your senses. I usually, uh, when I was working with a British guy, he, he, the firm didn't have a website. You know, we didn't do marketing. We didn't have social media. But we use a, We got some of the best projects. And one of the things he taught me is that you have to build relationships, and the relationships that you build, uh, you have to move out. You get. He would wake up one day and he's like, "I'm going." to Shanghai <laughs> unplanned you understand why I'm just going to see someone you get oh I'm traveling to this place why because I think there's a potential project there I just need to go and see how it looks like you understand and ever since I learned that I I really I, I, that's one of the things that has really developed my sense in, in my sense of design uh, for example if I'm doing something in Shenzhen you get I would rather go actually my class is doing something in Shenzhen I was the only person who went there you know so I decided to leave Ningbo and go there as people were saying, oh, there's COVID, there's what, you get. I was like, you know what? As an architect, I need to see the place that I'm going to design in. And it's just a school project. So some of these, if you transfer them into your professional work, you begin to make very distinct designs and you build very good relationships with your clients. So I would encourage people to be adventurous, visit places. If you would rather visit a place than talk about it or read about it. Uh, I think as they say that photo speaks a thousand words, right? Yeah. So be adventurous. If if you you know you can touch something, just go there and touch it. Uh, I remember there is a, there's a story of this guy. Uh, I think he's an architect, trained urban planner, and he was called to do, he was called to do uh, a documentary on something, and as people were you know reading, reading news and and uh, and reading articles and what. This man flew, he was, he was doing the documentary in Africa. He flew from Europe to Africa and recorded a 14 second video, a 14 second video for whatever people were reading about, whatever they were tasked to do. And he spent thousands of dollars just to, you know, just to go and capture it. And, you know, he, tell, he tells you that the experience was way more than just reading. I'm not saying uh, most people have the money to travel and what, but you can move just around your neighborhood. You get, if you can ride, because it's all about experiencing using all your senses, your sense of touch, your sense of uh, sight, hearing, you know, <laughs> such kinds of stuff. So I would actually be curious. And you know, a lot of people also, they, <laughs> they, don't, they don't like to be ashamed and look like they don't know <laughs> I think you you understand. I, I would say architecture is a is a field that that if it's a field where you have to humble yourself to know that you don't know. Even the men that have made it, they don't know it all. You get so don't be afraid to look stupid. Don't be afraid to look like uh, you don't understand something. If you don't understand something, ask. You get uh, right now. I'm, I'm I'm practicing. Yet I have lecturers who are like 40, 50 years old and they have masters and PhDs, but they have never practiced. So I actually have an advantage over them, you understand? But they have, they know a lot of theoretical work you get. But if I tell them, okay, what do I do in this project? They may not be able to help me, you understand? That's just to show you how broad the field is. I may not be at their level of intellectual, you know, uh, prowess, but then I may not know as many theories as them, but I practice, you get? And that, that in itself gives me a certain value. So don't be afraid to always practice don't be afraid to you know to be adventurous 
just be adventurous ask questions if you can don't mind if you look stupid that's how it is yeah okay yeah uh, that's a very nice message um um the other the other aspect of a life on touch on is your entrepreneurial journey um just highlight us uh, about uh, the, the type of business and your journey so far in your entrepreneurial aspect of your life. Man, entrepreneurship is not for the weak. <laughs> <laughs> Advice, by the way, you know, in my high school, you know, the, the way you were supposed to have, I think, entrepreneurship and economics. Some people took entrepreneurship, some people took economics, you understand. Yeah. And I, I don't know what I did, but uh, I remember I dropped my economics session in my senior two, which for those of you who don't know senior two in context is like I was 15 years old. And uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anyone who is passionate not to, to mean to drop any of those courses at commerce, because uh, there's a lot right now that I'm really trying to catch up on. But I got to realize that I actually love business when I came here. You get back at home. I really didn't have I never knew I was going to be a businessman. <laughs> you get I'm paying for those years that I could have gotten free knowledge, you know, in class. You know. But uh, ever since I came to China, uh, I got to realize how, you know, how these people work. You've been here in China. These people work. And I was looking back at home. And one of the things that kills businesses so fast back at home is there's no, there, there are no support businesses. I don't know if you understand. For example, if someone is a, let's talk of a, what's the easiest example I can give? Okay, let's let's look at someone who just wants to do agriculture, right? Because that's one of the first things they did when I came. Uh, mm. Back at home, people really want to do agriculture, but there is there are no support businesses to make agriculture viable for people to, you know, to attract people to invest in. Like someone wants to do agriculture, but just around, you know, <laughs> just in their city, even the city uh, next to them doesn't have veterinary, you know, doctors. <laughs> you understand? Yeah don't have uh, maybe stores that can have good high quality seeds you understand they don't have a place that can maybe hire out machinery to people who can't afford you, you understand such kind of businesses eh? businesses that support and drive others uh, for example if my friend has a buys a car yeah, at least the supporting businesses around there should be you know there's supposed to be a spare part you know business place that can wash it you understand stuff like that so I got to realize that I'm really passionate about supporting businesses. And that's why I started. Initially, I was doing uh, agriculture, you understand? And I wanted to see if I could get as many, as, many, um, as many tools, you know, into the hands of people who could not afford them. If they can't buy them, they could hire them out, stuff like that. And I still have it as a, an unfinished project that I hope to finish and continue with when I reach at home. When I go back home, because it's more feasible when you're down. And uh, right now, I've also decided to go into the place of, because uh, uh, I'm also trying to see how I can move to the business side of architecture. I, I do business in architecture, but it's not so much, you know, into, it's not deep enough. And I'm thinking, because back at home, one, uh, it's not even back at home, even in China, the technologies to help clients visualize their projects are so outdated, you understand? yeah and the new technology that comes is usually a bit complicated for people to learn and so they just neglect it but i'm thinking of how we can streamline that process maybe with augmented augmented realities or visual or and virtual realities to find a way to help clients visualize 
their projects before they are built because it gives them a certain kind of satisfaction. So in short, we need people like you, <laughs> the coders. <laughs> <laughs> you understand? Because I know technology is going to be a very huge part, you know, as a, as we move in front. And so um trying to see how to really, really, really uh make you know bring something new something fresh into into how we present architecture of course architecture already has problems its own so in business it's usually nice to just work on one goal <laughs> so i'll probably just work on presentation because uh back at home people don't really present their work and the thing about architecture is you capture someone with how you present <laughs> you understand so that has been business for me. Uh, I also do import and export, but I do it on a very low scale here in China. That's uh, usually help people that want to buy uh, heavy duty machinery, trucks, stuff like that. Uh, that uh, stuff that they know that they will need someone to do their quality control, someone to uh, to go speak to the factories, someone they, that they, they, you know, for example, if South Sudanese guy comes to me, they're 100% sure that they can speak their language. And they're also confident that they can speak the Chinese language. I know enough to, you know, to, to, to confirm their product, to confirm uh, the quality of the product they need. And that has helped me build actually a lot of relationships because um, most of my architecture clients come from there, from the people I do business with. Actually, one of the biggest uh, projects I'm doing right now, though we are still in the schematic phase, is a resort, you know, designing a resort for someone in Central African Republic. And that's for someone I just met through business, you know. He was frustrated because he didn't find someone to help him uh, buy a certain machine here. And the first people he contacted, were, you know, they scammed him. And so, I don't know, he just, he just said, I'm going to trust this young man. I don't know him, but... He seems honest, and that's a trait that I would that I would I would love uh, to give a lot of businessmen to develop. You know, be transparent uh, with your clients. Uh, trust me, it earns you a lot more. So um, yeah, so I do import and export, and it's been doing good. So that's I'm not I'm not a core entrepreneur like I go and start inventing stuff. You know, I just <laughs> you know. I'm not like a guy doing startups or stuff like that. Um, uh, I just basically do the traditional businesses that you know, people have been doing. Wow, amazing. Well, at least you're doing something great, you know. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you. Um, to another part of which I'm passionate about, but not so but not so passionate about because I can't play it. Yes. I'm <laughs> I should come and teach you. <laughs> don't teach me, yo. You know, my coach. Yeah. I don't know. In high school, in the school where I went to, people used to play basketball. But then, I don't know. It's, it's just something that I just failed to, to, to play. You know, I don't mm. know. It kind of looks cool when people are dunking and people are hitting those three-pointers. Yeah. It looks so cool, but like the actual bouncing the ball and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it hard compared uh, to games like football. Um, uh -huh. so but it's, but it's actually you, easy. It's actually easy. It's quite easy. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. So I want to ask you, um, as a basketball player, um, what ignited your passion in basketball? Hey, okay. Okay. This one, I think I'll go back to my childhood. Yeah. Uh. 
South Sudanese are very gifted basketball players. I mean, we, we were one of, I mean, for a while, everyone grew up when we knew a man called Manut Paul. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was the tallest and he was the tallest NBA player and he was from South Sudan. And so, uh, you, you know, back at home, the, the pictures of Manut Ball, you know, there's that iconic picture of a short guy and then there are three balls and then there's Manut Ball, right? Yeah. And it's a very common picture and we, have, we happen to have that in the house. Of course, notwithstanding that a lot, you know, a lot of people love to play football. I grew up playing football, literally. But I remember when I went to high school, uh, it was in Tare School, uh, uh, the first, I mean, the first month I reached there, I had a cousin who went to entire school in O2, and there was a story. He had a very good basketball history with the school, you know, like everyone, when you reach in the team, everyone, you know, knew that story. It's like that story had been passed on from generation to generation. You get. And so yeah. when I reached there and they, they asked me, do you know this guy? I was like, yeah, he's actually my cousin. And then they were like, no, you know, come and play. So I remember one month when I entered high school, I think I was about 13, 14, you know, they, they gave me a ball and in two months I was, uh, I don't know how to say it, but uh, it's like I became good enough to play to me into team and train with the school team. I don't know if because I was young and all that. And so that from then I started playing and I never looked back. Actually, basketball is one of those things that I can do eight hours a day. You know, I, I could replace it with sleep and I would love to do it. So it's from 2010, yeah, I could play eight hours a day and I'm not even kidding. It's one of those things that I just love to do, you know, and whether I'm even right now, it just helps me when, when I'm too tired, I go play basketball. When I finish playing, I feel refreshed. I feel like I'm a kid. You know? <laughs> Understand? So when we grew up, because we all grew up in that atmosphere and currently you can't even see the trend. There are a lot of many South Sudanese players. You, you, you get a lot they're everywhere they're in Kampala, in South Sudan. Some people are playing pro. We even have a South Sudanese that is playing in China <laughs> called Thorn Maker. Uh, in the Chinese league, there's uh, we had the iconic Wal Deng who just retired a few years ago. In the NBA, we have we still have players. There are many playing in in Europe. So uh, uh, it's 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 one of those things that is rooted in perhaps the social, our social. Because you know South Sudan is a, is more of like a a war country. It's no it's well known for war. You understand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so sports have been one of those things that have been uniting us for a very 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 long time. So football, wrestling, volleyball, basketball, those are like infused in the communities just to bring people together. So you end up you know you grow up with all these things around you. So you just it's, a, it's just a place of picking. And I felt basketball was the right thing for me. That's nice. Um, so do you think there's enough talent across Africa for us to win the basketball World Cup? There's too much talent, actually. I think there's actually too much talent. Uh, have you been keeping up with the with the FIBA World Cup qualifiers? Uh, not yet. The last time I heard of FIBA was when they're having World Cup in China. Was it 2019? Yeah, it was either that or before that. Uh, I've been yeah. keeping up basketball yet. FIBA World Cup is going to be happening next year, I think from August to October. It will be in the Philippines, Japan, and I think Indonesia. And so far, the African countries, I mean, Cote d'Ivoire has already gone through. I think there's actually a lot of talent. To give you numbers, you know, the NBA has 450 players, right? Like, yeah. 
which you can see a substantial amount of African players in there. Uh, China is like the biggest market for the NBA, but they don't even have one player. <laughs> you get, they don't even have one player in the NBA yet. They are the biggest market. Uh, my country, and it's a country of 1.4 billion people. My country, South Sudan, is basically a country of 14 million people, but I can give you five players that have played in the NBA. You understand? I can show you Nigerians, I can show you Senegalese, I can show you Congolese that are in the NBA, I can show you Ugandans, there's even a Ugandan that plays for the Toronto Raptors in the NBA. So Africa has so much potential and we could say that for every sport, you could say it for athletics, you could say it for football, you could say it for, uh, for volleyball, you could say it for any sport. There is a lot of talent in Africa. It's just maybe the consolidation of that talent to meet it with the right resources. Because initially we are built for this. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. Africans are built for sports. Their physique, their genes, their what? The, the way we are strong men, you know, we are strong men and women. And I feel like most of the times what lets us down is we don't have facilities surrounding, you know these sports like i said i'm very passionate about businesses that support a cause that support a major thing you understand those things are not there for you who has been in china you can walk into a school and i think my former school even the school i'm in right now they have more than 12 basketball courts <laughs> you get <laughs> and yeah. you wonder how, how does the school have more than 12 basketball courts and you just move out of the school there are other courts but back at home, uh, you can find a school just has one basketball court, you get, and that's the only basketball court that is in the whole district, or the only basketball courts in the district are in the schools, and the schools have one, two, maybe one or two, three schools, so, but I, the, the, the talent is really there, it's really there, and uh, be prepared, I think South, South Sudan is actually going to qualify for the, for the FIBA World Cup, uh, I think we're going to enter into the last round of uh, qualifiers, so. So I think I should carry you next year and go to Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That would be great though. Um, so you believe that Africa one day will win the basketball World cup? I believe so. And I don't think, I don't see it far from now because a lot of people are actually pouring, uh, to show you how much potential is there. The NBA is actually uh, has created a league. I mean, the, Basketball African League, they call it BAL, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's an extension of NBA because they see so much potential. And because, of course, it's lucrative because one thing they care about is money. But once they tap into that market, because <laughs> they're looking to tap into that market, it's just that uh, most of our guys are slow, you understand. But most Africans who have seen it are actually partnering in this. They are partnering to see how they can get as much facilities and resources to the hands of many possible that's so much to show it how much potential is there so um you as um what has been your greatest highlight in basketball so far you as a player. <laughs> uh i think for the past five years i don't think i've had a notable highlight i think my best highlights were in when i was kind then you know when you go for the national games every year where you get to present represent your school i think that was the peak of it and uh I actually thought one time I was I mean, 2013, I actually thought I was going to play professional basketball uh, because I also had opportunities, you know, to fly to, for competitions and all that. 
though some didn't work out because uh, I think some at the time when I was supposed to travel to Germany for basketball, I think one of the, I think it was SARS, one of those uh, rare rare diseases came out. So I wasn't able to go. And ever since I came to China, it's been very difficult to play basketball. And of course, given the fact that I also didn't grow very tall. <laughs> so that hampered my dream. But ever since I came to China, it's been hard. Because first of all, they don't allow foreigners to play in the Chinese University Basketball Association. Uh, they usually say it's because they want to give Chinese opportunities. But after studying the whole thing, we got to realize, like I was telling you, Africans are built for this. So yeah. it's unfair because what, uh, for example, what I could do, uh, we had a basketball team, for example, at school, we had an international basketball team. And these were us who are doing architecture medicine you, you you see that eh? so you find yeah. we don't even have enough time to train over the week and then there is a team a chinese team that is at school to study basketball do you see that contrast <laughs> and then when you meet you beat them <laughs> you understand <laughs> so it doesn't make sense how someone <laughs> studying a course that is supposed to be the course they're good at if you're staying if you're going to class for them they're going for training so they study basketball seven days a week and for you you're busy seven days a week you probably get one or two hours in a week to play and then when it's time to actually compete you find yourself beating you because you like now imagine you are the one training seven days a week you understand so there are those rules that have been put into place not to allow foreigners uh, to to play in the Chinese basketball league and yeah when when you know you can't get very far you just concentrate on other things so I decided to serve my country the architecture route because there are also a lot of basketballers so I don't feel it's a loss for me so right now I just play for fun there's there hasn't been any highlight here I just play for fun you know record yeah just help the market the 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 gyms with their marketing because you're when you're there you know, they, they take videos because you've come and you shine a bit and then you find yourself on doing stuff like that but it's just for fun these days there's really nothing serious to it okay um the last aspect of your of your life that i'll ask about is your being a pastor um mm -hmm. you're being a pastor part of manifest um so was it a calling or it's something you just grew up doing well something i would say it's um you know one thing about god is that he never calls you far from the things that your calling is never far from the way you you know the way you've lived your life and uh ever since even before i gave my life to jesus so got born again i had uh there was this thing in me where i was friendly to people in fact even up to this day i i have some texts from a few friends one notable story was a was a friend I had in high school, and you know when you you know in high school you have different categories of people <laughs> you get yeah there's the there are the cool chaps, and then there are those ones in the middle, then there are those ones people don't even want to talk to, you get you understand, mm. and I remember I was uh, I was a man of no I didn't have classes I would talk to the people who thought they were super cool I would talk to. Uh, the ones who thought they were mediocre and I would also I, I had to I used to spend a lot of time with the people who thought they were not needed in society people thought they had low self-esteem and I remember this guy texts me seven eight years later and, and tells me he texts me and tells me that 
thank you so much for what you did for me in high school. You may not have seen it, but it was one of the best experiences. You believed in me when nobody did. You were there for me. You joked with me. You people sidelined me. And he told me today, I want to tell you that I'm a successful man. I'm getting married and I own a very profitable business. And I sat down and I actually cried tears. And I've had that actually over and over and over again from like different people. And I think that was one of the reasons God called me into, you know, into ministry, because I got to realize that a lot of people in society that life beats down. Okay. And the whole reason for us being there as manifest and as a fellowship and is just to tell people to just believe in them, you know, to tell them that God loves them, to, to believe in them and tell them that, look, even if society doesn't see you like this, God sees you another way. And that's not, and to God, you're precious. And so I think this was one of the things that, uh, that I felt was just transitioned me into, into being a pastor. You get, uh, for people who know me, they know I talk to everyone. They know I believe in almost anyone. And that for me has been one of my greatest, my greatest joys, you understand? Believing in people and sharing my time with people who think they don't deserve it. So, yeah, that's why I'm in ministry. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you navigate it in a country like China that is not, uh, I don't know, restrictive when it comes to ministry? Uh, it's okay because you know a lot of people think that ministry is you have to sit down and shove you know, Jesus down people's throat. Okay, but uh, you know ministry is all about being patient. If uh, I I don't need to really, uh, for example, we were blessed when we came here. China allows you to have uh, a religious gathering in a religious place. So uh, in my city, our manifest we had it in a cathedral, you know, and we went to we went we contacted the the fathers and we told them look we are, we are a bunch of young people that love jesus we are a bunch of people that want to have fellowship with people and we wanted a place and they gave it to us so that helped us maneuver you know the whole the whole restrictions but other than that i think uh, we have, we've been doing it we do it on wechat we do it uh, even if it's restricted but i uh, so one of our philosophies is we feel like life is above policies you understand mm. if your friend really needs help and the only way for you to do it is through uh, a restricted way i think i would i would choose to do that other than follow the restrictions so it's been of course there's been ups and downs but we, god is faithful he gives us ways to reach you know the people that needs to be that, that need to be reached and he has truly been faithful we have seen lives transformed literally you know, and there are people, for example, it's a it's a game of patience, literally. And it's constantly telling people how much God cares for them, how much uh, God loves them. And the only way they can know that is if you show it to them, that you actually care, that you actually, you know. And people have left. Uh, every day we receive texts. There are people I met in 2016, 2017. They went home. I've never seen them. But in 2022, they text you. Thank you for all the things you told me then. They now make sense. So it's just a game of patience. If you're not home, you're you're planting a seed. You may not see the results now, but four, five, six years from now, uh, those are the things that you know that bring joy. You can because you could have gotten someone out from, you know, from the from the deep from you gotten out from someone out from thoughts of depression, gotten someone out from thoughts of suicide. You understand, and you never know that you did it until 
four or five years later. So, yeah, we do all we have to do in this in this land and this with all these restrictions with this with all these restrictions, but God has been faithful. Wow! Wow! Amazing. Okay. Um, my last question to you would be um, tell me something amazing about South Sudan. I know there's a lot of news about it, but tell me the good side, <laughs> the beautiful nature of that country. Yo, I, I first of all, I I don't even know where to start from, but I can start with the people. Yeah. South Sudan has the most amazing people. It has the most welcoming people, the kindest people I've ever met in the world. Of course, notwithstanding that when when they're angry, it's a whole different thing. You understand? <laughs> but I believe you also studied with South Sudanese in university, yeah, yeah. right? I think you realize these are the, some of the of the easygoing people. You get they're yeah. they're lovely people. They're amazing people, and so. One thing I would like to tell the world about South Sudan is it's it's a beautiful place. It's really welcoming. Uh, the food is nice. I mean, the Nile is there. The, the 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 environment is beautiful. You know, I've had a lot of friends who, who you know, <laughs> you know, at a certain point I stopped listening to, to what they portray about uh, South Sudan because. I've had friends living there over the years, you know, even during the time when there was uh, the conflict was still, you know, was still ongoing and going hard, you know, and but but people still they thrived. And just show you how hard they are. <laughs> you understand? I think South Sudanese are one of the toughest people I know. You know, For me myself, I left. I, I the only reason I left South Sudan was because when you know when we're growing up kids of 1990 between 1990 to like 2000 you know most of us grew up without our parents because most of our parents were sending us to surf lands you know send you to uganda because you're the future you know, understand so they stay behind they walk through all that insecurity and out of that it has created a certain brand of thick-skinned children mothers and fathers you understand and that is why uh, I think they are the most they are the most amazing people you will ever meet because they have experienced life. They we have seen life in you know the lowest at, at the lowest points. You understand? We have experienced it, so yeah. We are, we always sympathize. We always know when someone is in the is is in is in the, is at their lowest because we have seen it. You know, and we know that someone can usually you we know that you will make it. We know that you can come out of it. And so that's what makes us kind. That's what makes us uh, uh, have empathy. That's what makes us welcoming. And generally, the place, the environment is good. Uh, the food is amazing. I can't that one. I can't stress it enough. <laughs> you know. And for a fun fact, we are also the tallest people in the world. So you just come, <laughs> and you you feel like you're walking among towers. But don't ask me what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah it's a it's a rich land it's a it's a very rich land it's a land of opportunities if you're a businessman and you feel like you want to invest in a country that would be a place for you to go wow 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 it was nice having you on today's podcast we have really shared a lot i've learned a lot especially about architecture (laughs) and basketball (laughs) i hope now you want to become an architect and a basketball player (laughs) <laughs> you're convincing me there there to go there there I would... <laughs>
but thank you so much. Thank you so much. Very glad to have you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation, sir.